Let us pray together. Lord, let your glory fall in this room. Let it go forth from here to the nations. Let your fragrance rest in this place as we gather to seek your face. The Lord is my shepherd. I like nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father of creation, unfold your sovereign plan. Raise up a chosen generation that will march through the land. Lord, let us be a generation, a church that seeks your face and that puts you first above all, that will place you as a center of our hearts, center of everything that we do, Father, for you are our first and our last. For God, you are with us in this journey called life. So God, I just want to thank you, God, once again for this church, for God gathering all of us here together to worship you together on this Sunday. Lord, we give you all the glory. Take all the glory for yourself. We humble ourselves right now and we lay down our rights. We lay down our crowns. Lord, speak to us, God. Lord, we desire to connect. We desire to speak and to be touched by our Creator, O Lord. For God, you are our Father and you are our Savior. So, God, as we transition now to the message, I pray, God, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts for those who are listening to this message. God, may it be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, for God, you are our rock and our redeemer. You are our shepherd, and we lack nothing, O God. For God, you provide good things for your children, for all of us. So speak to us, Lord, for we are hungry and desperate to hear your voice, O God. So I thank you, Lord, we pray all these things in your precious Son. And as God's people, we pray, amen and amen. All right, God bless you guys. Uh, let's all take our seats and let's just take a moment to greet our neighbors at this time. Okay, with that, let's begin with today's title. Today's title is called How God's People Must Live Victoriously. How God's People Must Live Victoriously. Going all the way back to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 3. Our main scripture for today is found in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8 through 13. Again, how God's people must live victoriously. Let's begin with our reading. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. The key word here is hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? 
The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. There's a lot of hide and seek going on here. And there's a lot of blaming game that is happening here in this passage found in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8 through 13. And with that, I have three points for us with the title, How God's People Must Live Victoriously. Point number one is this. You are called not to live in fear. Especially right now with this pandemic, with everything that is happening, there's a lot of fear going around. During this week, during the past week, during the past month, this whole year with this pandemic. But you are not called to live in fear. As God's people, we are called to live victoriously. There are times, yes, we will be crawling. There are times we'll feel like we're, we just barely survived the day. But at the end of the day, we have victory through Jesus Christ. No matter what, we have victory. We are called to walk and keep our head high and to be victorious in our mindset. Not just in our mindset, but in our walk with God. If you have fallen, you get back up and you do it again. We are not called to live in fear. You are not called. We are called not to live in fear. Look at verse 8 through 10. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. If we were to ever encounter God, may we never hide from him, but may we expose ourselves to God and say, God, here I am. A lot of times people are ashamed. People feel insecure. People feel, people feel guilty and they feel that they don't want, they cannot approach God for God is somehow, he is an angry God. But may we never hide from God when God is approaching us. And when we approach him, you are not called to live in fear. Reading once again, verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Look at verse 9. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. So let's talk about fear versus fear. Fear and fear. There's a vast difference between these two words. One word is worldly fear. One word is spiritual fear. So let's talk about fear versus the fear of God. What's the difference? Let's look at the word fear. Fear talking about worldly fear. I'm talking about being afraid. It's a state of being afraid. It's a a state of having anxiety. It's dreading. It's horror. It's terror. It's a state of condition marked by being afraid. So for the unbeliever, they live in fear. Whenever a pandemic happens, when an economic crisis happens, when the economy goes down, when we lose our jobs, when we lose our relationships, they live in fear. But as men and women of God, we are not called to live in fear even when we lose these things, these temporary monetary things. The world lives in fear. For the unbeliever, they live in fear. Because for them, they will one day face God's eternal judgment and the result will be eternal separation from God. That is not fear. That is the worst thing that could happen to any human being. 
standing before God on judgment day when we take our last breath here on earth. And God tells us, get away from me, go away from me, for I do not know you. That's the fear that the unbeliever lives in. Hebrews 10, 31 tells us, it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Our God is a living God. Our God is not dead. Right, Ronnie? Like the retreat, the hoodie that you guys have, that you guys wore on, uh, for your youth group. It says God's dead, but not. It's so small, like it's like it blends in with the sweatshirt. So from far away, literally all of you guys, so funny. I remember when you guys came back from the retreat, it's like all you guys are wearing God's dead, and you have to look close, and it's like God's not dead. I'm like, why would you put not so small? Our God is a living God. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Luke chapter 12, verse 5. But I will show you whom you should fear. This is Jesus speaking. Fear him who after your body has been killed has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. That's the fear of the unbeliever. But for the believer for yourself and for me, for us, for those who are listening, for the believer in faith, for those who have trusted and trusted their life to Jesus Christ, for the believer, this is what it means for the fear of God. What is the fear of God? When I say the fear of God, I'm talking about the reverence of God. And the key word here is reverence. It's a healthy dose of fear. Showing respect and reverence and love to who he is, to our sovereign and our living God. Hebrews 12 verse 28 tells us, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. It tells us with reverence and awe. For in him and through him we were created. For without him we would have nothing. You see, for Adam and Eve, they hid because they were afraid. They had the worldly fear in them. Or they had a twisted view. Their view of God was messed up. They didn't see God in the correct way, in the way that they should see God. They should approach God and say, God, I messed up. Please forgive me. But instead they hid, for they were afraid but we see the difference between fear and the fear of God, that as Christian men and women of God, that we are called to have a healthy dose of fear. Do you guys remember Job? What God said about Job? Remember Job 1, what God said that he feared? It, the scripture tells us he feared God and shunned evil. In Job, in, in Job 1, in, in verse 8, it tells us that there is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. God tells to Satan. God also tells Satan again in verse 3, it says, A man who fears God and shuns evil, he still maintains his integrity, though you incited, you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. The scripture is not talking about worldly fear. It's talking about spiritual fear. Job had reverence towards God. And that's the kind of fear that we should live in every single day. Proverbs 1, 7 tells us, 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Going on, Proverbs 31. This is a famous passage of the noble woman. Verse 30 to 31 tells us, Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord, fears the Lord is to be what? Praised. It says, honor her, honor her for all that her hands have done and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. So the scripture tells us, honor these type of women, praise these type of women, not those who are beautiful on the outside, but those who fear God. Charm is deceptive. Beauty is fleeting. All of you young individuals right, th- right now, you could try to look young, stay young, dye your hair, cut your hair, put on makeup, put on lotion as much as you want. But your beauty is fleeting. Your outside, everything is fleeting. But what remains is your fear, the fear of God. A woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Honor her for all that her hands have done and let her work bring her praise at the city gate. These women should be praised and honored, not for their physical beauty, but for the ones who fear the Lord. May you find a woman who fears God, not following for their physical beauty for the men. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13 tells us, this is the end, the last chapter, the final chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes, if you read this. And at the end, pretty much, This author is saying everything is meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And then in the end, he says, now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. He says, fear God. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. It's a command that we are called to do. Fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. Let it be engraved into your heart, etched into your heart. Fear God. Fear God, fear God. Know it in your mind, know it in your heart. Let it trickle to your heart. Let it flow in your action. Fear the Lord. Romans 8, 14 through 15. The last verse for this point. For those who are led by the Spirit of God. We mentioned this verse last week. Who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. This is talking about worldly fear. Rather, the spirit you received brought you about your adoption to sonship. Daughtership is also included. It's talking about anyone who is a child of God. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. If only Adam and Eve, if they cried, Abba, Father, on that day, on Genesis 3. But instead, they hid. They were afraid, and they went on their own. But may we approach God right now by not hiding. May we approach him with the fear of God, not the worldly fear that we have right now. So whatever guilt, whatever shame you're feeling right now, lay it down. Come out of the bush. Come out naked. Here I am, God. And we will be ashamed. But when we come to him, we approach him, with honesty and with openness, he receives us. Amen? So we no longer need 
to live in fear again, but we live in reverence towards our King. Amen. So again, point number one, you are not called to live in fear, which, which leads to our second point. Point number two, you are called not to live as victims. Amen. This is so crucial, especially in this generation, this day and age. Everybody is a victim. Everybody loves playing the victim. Why live your life as a victim? You are not called to live your lives as victims. I'm talking about having a victim mentality. All day and every day, having a victim mentality. Get rid of it, throw it into the trash. And let's talk about what victim mentality is. What is to have a victim mentality? I have three sub-points for us. Some of you, you're like, oh no, is this going to be me? We'll see. Letter A. What is letter A? Making excuses. For example, I did not because, and the word, the key word here is because. It's always because. Because my father. Because my mother. Because, 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 because. And it just echoes into your mind and your thought every single day. It trickles into your heart and it shows in your action, in your words, and in your conduct. Because, because, because. Making excuses after excuses. Letter B. Shifting blame. Blaming others on others. For example, she made me do it. He made me do it. What were they doing in Genesis 3? She made me do it. The woman made me do it. He doesn't even call her by the name. The woman made me do it. The serpent, the animal made me do it. Shifting blame. Let us see. Not taking ownership of your action. So each one of these phrases, it ends with your actions, of your actions. Because it comes down to your actions. It's not just always about your intentions. For we cannot read each other's intentions but we see each other's actions, right? Our physical actions, making excuses of your actions, shifting blame of your actions, not taking ownership of your actions. And if you read verse, verse 11 through 13, you see that they have a victim mentality. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from. The man said, the woman, you put me here with me. He's even blaming God that you put her here with me. And he's also blaming the woman. She gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Oh, really, Adam, you didn't have the free choice, the free will to make that decision on your own? Then the Lord God said to the woman, and God is just playing this game, Right? He's just kind of, okay, okay, Adam, and then we'll see. And then the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. And I'm not here to bash on Adam and Eve. You know, I truly believe, you know, the human nature is the same all throughout history. You know, a lot of times people are very judgmental, and we say things like, oh, back in the day, World War II, how can the Japanese or how can we, German, in Germany, how can they, how could they have done what they did? 
right? Nazis, the Holocaust, and all that. But you have to understand that there were human beings, there were real human beings living in that time period. Truly, just they were, they were the product of their culture, of the mentality and all the brainwashing and everything that was happening. If you grew up in that culture and you really grew up brainwashed and thinking in that ideology and you really grew up in that, in that environment, I believe that we too would have fallen. Not everyone, but I'm talking majority. The human nature is the same. That we have sin that is within us. The crookedness of, our, of the human nature will never change. The humans will never be, will, will never change. Humans will be humans. And that is why we need a savior. What Adam and Eve did is what we would do also. Is what I do every single day. And that is why we need a savior today. This is why we come to church. This is why we pray. This is why we worship. Because we're saying, God, I died to myself. For I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I no longer live, but I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20. We understand the truth, the love of God. That's why we need a Savior. That's what Jesus, when he came from heaven to earth, he tells us in John 14.6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And John 1 tells us that in him was life, and in that life was the light of all mankind. He is the light that shines on us. But look at verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Amen. Here's the good news and the problem. John 3, 19. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. This is exactly what I was talking about. The light is here, but people are blinded. People cannot see. And this has been going on from history, from the beginning, from Adam and Eve to now. Going back to Tower of Babel, going back to Egypt, going back to the history of everything that happened, World War I, World War II, all the, all the wars, Vietnam War, Korean War, all the wars that's happened. And we are so quick to judge others' actions when in fact, if we grew up within that time and that culture and that pressure of life, many of us too, we too would have fallen into that type of evil movements. But praise God that we see the light and we have the light. Amen? So again, point number two, you're called not to live as victims. Leading to our last point, point number three, and I'm closing with this. You're called not to remain fallen at seven. You're called not to remain fallen at seven. What do I mean by that? And the question I want to ask you is, why stay fallen at seven? What I'm trying to say is, you fall down seven, you get back up at eight, and you do it again. So what is number seven? Number seven, it means perfect 
perfection, and indefinitely. So the scripture that I want to provide for us, and this is a passage that we all need to memorize, is found in Proverbs chapter 24. Okay, let's look at verse 16. And it tells us, For though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. But the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. I want you to connect this passage in Proverbs 24, 16 to what we read in Genesis chapter 3. What's the difference here? Number seven, it represents perfection. It means indefinitely you will fall always, and we will always fall, and we will fall hard. There are days where we will fall a little bit, frequently throughout the day, or there are moments where we fall hard and will change our life forever. My point is there's no such thing as a perfect record as a human being. As a Christian, there's no such thing as having a perfect record. This passage reminds us that we will fall indefinitely and we will always fall no matter what, even though you're righteous. But what makes a difference between you, the righteous, and the unrighteous, again, we are not righteous by my own, by my own deeds, by my own good deeds. I'm only righteous because of Jesus Christ, because of his saving grace, because of his blood. What makes me different is that even though I fall seven times, I rise again. But what does it say? But the wicked, the unrighteous, they stumble when calamity strikes and they remain down and they never go back to church. And they just stay away. May we always get back up. And number eight, even though we fall seven times, get back up and do it again and again and again. We all know the quote, Jordan, he says, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I failed over and over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. Failure is the greatest teacher. Adversity is our greatest teacher. Ease and having it easy is the worst thing that could happen to us as Christians. May we go through suffering well. And when we do suffer and when we do fall, and you will fall, and when you do fall, get back and do it again and again and again and again and again. Never quit. Through Jesus Christ, get up and do it again. Get up and do it again. Can we read these two verses together? Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. Let's all read it together. Ready? As a church. One, two, three. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. Let's read 2 Corinthians 4, 8-9. Let's read it together. Ready? One, two, three. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Amen. Please close your eyes with me.
with our eyes closed, we didn't read this verse, but we finished earlier in the beginning of the message with Genesis chapter 3, 8 through 13. And 13 ends with, the serpent deceived me and I ate. But if you fast forward a few verses in verse 15, well, verse 14 and 15, it tells us that God, he brings cursing. It says, curse are you above all livestock, talking to a serpent. And then in verse 15, God says to the serpent, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Genesis 15 is speaking of Eve's offering. Who is Eve's offering? It's talking about us, yes, the humans, but it's talking about the promise. This is the Bible's first recorded messianic promise found in scripture, found in Genesis chapter 3. The promise of Jesus' birth. What God is saying is through Jesus Christ that the serpent has been trampled. That through Jesus Christ that we have overcome. Fast forward a few verses in verse 21. The Lord God, it says, made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And what's beautiful here in verse 21 is that even in the rebellion of Adam and Eve, God still protects his children. He made them a garment of skin to clothe them. And what does clothing do? What happens when you stand naked before someone? You feel shame. Clothing brings protection. It brings security. And that's what God does to us. Even in our rebellion, God takes care of us. So the story that we read today, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, the whole story is a story about redemption. It's the rebellion of the human, the humankinds. How rebellious we are towards God. And ultimately how God sends his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us. So that you and I, we can have life and life to the full. So that we can live life victoriously. Amen. Through rebellion, we were drawn out from the tree of life, from the garden of Eden. But now through Jesus Christ, we have the way to the tree of life. John 14, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Amen. He is our light. And he is our only hope. So as we're sitting here and as we're listening to today's message, which path will you choose today? Which path will you choose? Will you choose the path of Judas and abandon your faith and betray your Lord and your Savior, Jesus Christ, 
and end your life? Or will you be like Peter, even though he betrayed Jesus also, but later he is reinstated through Jesus Christ? Which path will we choose? Matthew 27 tells us, with Judas, it tells us, when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the others. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us? They replied, that's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hang, hanged himself. That was the end of Judas. Judas takes his own life because he was filled with remorse, guilt, and shame, and eventually it led to death. Not just physical death, spiritual death. He ended his life. And that was a sad conclusion of Judas's life. But what happened with Peter? John 21 tells us, and this is a beautiful story that I love, one of my favorite passages in the scripture. It tells us this is after Jesus, after he dies and he resurrects. This is when he presents himself to the disciples. It says, when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Peter, who also betrayed Jesus, finds himself lost, and he goes back to fishing. He is filled with guilt. Again, he's filled with guilt, and he's filled with remorse. And when Jesus sees him, it tells us, when they finish eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you're younger, you dress yourself and wear where you want it. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter will glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. May our lives be like Peter to have the conviction that leads to change. Peter here, he receives forgiveness. Peter is reinstated. Jesus comes back and he gives hope to the ashamed Peter. May we not, not be like Judas and we hang ourselves and call it quits. Men and women of God, for those who are listening here today, do not give up. You are called to live victoriously. Live victoriously. Know who is in you. Know who is inside you. Know who you serve. Know who your master is. 
Know who your king is. Your Lord and your Savior. His name is Jesus Christ. Do not forget who you're working for. Do not forget who your king is. You are not called, number one, to live in fear. Live in fear of God. Do not live in the fear of the world. You are called not to live as victims, number two. Amen. Making excuses, shifting blame, not taking ownership. And lastly, number three, you're called not to remain fallen at seven. Do not give up. It's not over yet. Are you still breathing? Did you wake up this morning? Yes. It's time to fight. Don't quit. Don't give up. And with that, I want to invite you to stand to your feet. And let's be in that moment and praise team, please come up. We're going to sing the song, Let Your Glory Fall, as our final and reflection song. But before we go ahead and we sing, I would like to invite you right now to pray. Pray to God and tell Him, God, I choose today to live victoriously. It's a choice that you must make. It's a decision that you must make every single day. Are you going to live and walk the path of today as a victim, having a victim mentality, having a loser mentality, living in guilt and in shame, hiding, being afraid? Or will you be victorious in Christ and grow to Him with confidence, conviction, and with courage? I pray that we would approach God's throne with conviction and with humility, with repentance, but with confidence. Be confident not in yourself, but be confident in Jesus Christ. Can we just take a moment to pray right now? Say, God, I choose today to live victoriously in your name, O God. I choose today to be reinstated as Peter was reinstated. I refuse to be a victim and to blame myself and to end my life as Judas did. But I choose today to live victoriously in your name. Let's pray together. Pray for yourselves. Pray for one another. Pray for this church and pray for me. We're grateful to that God, we as a church, that God, we will live victoriously in your name, oh God. God, we look to you, oh Lord, the author and the perfecter of our faith, oh Lord. I refuse to be a victim of my circumstances. I refuse to be a victim, God, in this world, by the opinions of this world. But I choose today, even when I'm the only one going to church, if I'm the only one lifting up my hands to worship, let it be so, oh God. I will worship you. I will lift up my hands and worship and praise you with confidence and with courage and with conviction, oh God. I need you right now. I need you right now. I need you right now. Come and speak to us. Speak to us. Speak to us. Oh God, we need you right now. Let's sing, let your glory. Let your glory fall in this room. Yes. Let it go forth from here to the nations. Let your fragrance rest in this place. As we gather to see. Let's sing again. Let your glory fall. 
was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I am the way, and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Father, thank you for inviting us into your garden once again. Thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, who died for me, who shed on the cross for me, and the blood that washes away my sins. Thank you, God, that I no longer live, but it is Christ that lives in me. Thank you for this life that you have called us to live. Today is the best day, for God, it is the day that you have given to us, O oh God. 
We thank you today for the life that we have, to the small, to the big things. How priceless and how precious this one life is. Lord, we lift up our hands and worship. And we give it all for you and for your kingdom and for your glory. May we not take this day for granted. May we not take your grace and the cross for granted. May it be a priceless grace, not a cheap grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for inviting us to dine at your feet, to eat with you, O God, to eat together. Thank you for accepting us and for loving us. Lord, we love you. Pray all these things in your precious Son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. And amen.